0: And welcome to the Getting A Grip Tennis Podcast. Ben Thomas is I, and Merlin Davis is he, sits across me, or on my screen at least, thousands of miles away, back in sunny UK. That's How That's what doing? happens
1: when you're in Thailand.
0: <laughs> it is, yeah. It's, it's a struggle living out here, you know, in the 30 degree weather, sunshine every day.
1: Yeah, but you did just finish telling me about your food poisoning, so I'm not quite sure uh, it's all... All as fun as you paint it to be
0: yes it's the yin and yang of life isn't it really got to take the ups <laughs> with the downs anyway yes we are here to talk about tennis of all things um just gonna we're basically gonna round up kind of what's been going on in the tennis world recently so in the last sort of week or two where best to start than russia um not in that way but with
1: i was gonna say careful careful with the intro on that one
0: Daniel Medvedev, of course, that's what I'm referring to. Um, he's recently claimed the number one spot in the tennis rankings. I think it's the the first time that one of the Big Four has not been number one since February 2004. What are our thoughts on this? Is this going to be like a temporary thing, or do we think this could last for a few months, or even longer than that? What, what's our feeling, especially with you know Djokovic being out of a couple of tournaments recently?
1: Well, the the Djokovic saga is its own story, so I won't delve into that too much now, especially from the the pandemic Covid perspective. But what I would say for Medvedev is he is a very special player. Um, He emulates Djokovic in that same way where, you know, he's an all round player. There's not necessarily a key weakness on his behalf. He moves well um, and he is quite enjoyable to watch. He's a bit of a character but sometimes those characters add to charisma, even if they're not necessarily charismatic. People seem to enjoy the fact that he's very eh about winning and very eh about his attitude on court. But like I say, he clearly puts in the time. He clearly works hard. When you're saying, "Will this last?" I don't think Medvedev at number one will last, but I do think it's the end of the uh, of the Big Four, to be quite honest. Uh, and I'll say the Big Four, uh, as anyone who knows me will know, I'm a big Murray fan, and I will always believe that it's a Big Four and not a Big Three. But as you so rightly say, um, with the end of the Big Four, I think you're just going to see all of these all these challengers coming through, and I think you're going to see a lot of a lot of different faces.
0: Yeah, I think. I mean, I mean, it's pretty obvious. Like, age catches up with everyone, even the greatest players of all time. So, I mean, I think Nadal's at like number five or six in the world at the moment. Obviously, that's probably going to go up closer to, you know, maybe top three. But they're not, they're not playing like the full schedules like they were in the past. Federer, of course, like he's been out injured for a while. Um, and you're going to get guys like Medvedev, and I was going to say Team, but then he's been out injured as well, I think. Um, but Sissipas, um who else is there? Top of my head. Um, maybe Auger aliassim coming through. These guys are going to start pushing into those kind of top five places. So yeah, I think obviously as a long-term kind of perspective. Um, you're not going to see the big four monopolize those places or even maybe the top one or two places. Um, it's funny you say Medvedev is a bit meh about winning. It's kind of, it's funny to watch because when he's playing, he does obviously. He's like like a super competitor when he's in and amongst it, and you often see him having a right go at the umpires, calling them corrupt and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's probably not the smartest thing to. Uh, oh, to do it's now one of, it's but. now
1: one of my favourite favourite clips from the tennis world. That that scene of him at the uh, Australian Open. Oh, yeah, that that I could watch. That has that lives rent free in my head every day.
0: He is, he is a meme. I think in a, in his own right. But I mean, I think, I he's think that's win people the personality over, that he's
1: going for. Call it acting. Call it acting. He he is playing a role, and I think he loves it. And I think it all stems from the fact that he is a gamer as well as a tennis player.
0: True. Yeah, I think maybe he's going to be more liked than Djokovic because like he kind of, he kind of comes across as a similar kind of uh, in demeanor and kind of character. But I think maybe he, he he's kind of aware of that, but he's trying to get audiences on side maybe in a way that I mean Djokovic was kind of unlucky in the fact he came he basically came along when Rafa and Roger were like that was the rival you're either in one camp or the other one and then there's this other guy coming in from the outside so no 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 no. we don't we don't we don't want anything to do with that whereas Medvedev is kind of he's coming through in this new generation so I think it's going to be easier for him to get crowds on side Um,
1: you say that I think there's going to be a lot of and I'm not going to go into why, clearly, but I think there'll be a lot of anti-Russia sentiment, and I, I do fear that he is going to pay a little bit of the price for that. Not because it's anything to do with him, nor is it his fault, obviously, but that is definitely going to play its part because there will be that that Russian idea in the back of everyone's mind as a crowd. So, I mean, I'd, I hope that it won't impact him when he plays, but, you know, global, global politics affects us all, so... Yeah,
0: I mean, I think it's well. You don't want to use politics to kind of advance your own popularity, especially when you're a sporting figure. But I think it is an opportunity for him to actually get more people on side in kind of how he speaks about it. Obviously, you don't want to. He's not going to get into the details of the actual geopolitics, but in terms of just promoting, you know, like anti-war sentiment or whatever. I think again, that's probably a chance for him to at least I don't know show his human side a bit more.
1: Well, you've seen Andrey Rublev do exactly the same thing. When he wrote on the camera, No war please I think I think Medvedev would play well to use that same card. The only issue is I don't think that the personality that he is going for particularly cares for global politics, nor nor his home country in that sense. So therefore I feel that he probably won't play on that card. When when it might be in his interests to
0: Yeah, well it's I mean, he he did grow up in Russia, or at least in his his very younger years, but I think I mean he's travelled around a lot. I mean, as you do as a tennis player, you know yeah, it's is. not you're not gonna stick around in Russia for like the entirety of the year. It's probably not the best thing for your tennis game. So I don't know how I mean, I'm sure he feels connected to Russia, but as much as people who have lived there their whole lives, maybe not. Um and obviously tennis is a global game as well, so Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, moving on from try, try to veer away from the the politics or such.
1: Keep keep it light. Keep it light.
0: Yes, we have touched upon the uh, I mean the traditional big four, if you can still call them that, um, and sort of about their kind of change in schedules and obviously as they get older, they're not going to be able to play as many tournaments. Um, in terms of Djokovic, should we start with him? He's also just recently split with his. I don't call him coach slash mentor, Marion Bider. Um, I think they did split once before like for a very short period of time, I think maybe 2017, Um, but how do we kind of view that? Do we think, is this kind of Djokovic trying to go into like a final phase of his career with a different kind of outlook or is there something deeper there? What what do you think?
1: Um, It's an interesting perspective to take when you consider everything else going on in Djokovic's world. And I think everything that's happening with uh, COVID, like vaccines and vaccine passports, the ability to play in these big tournaments, the ability to compete, the ability to hold on to the number one spot, which he has now obviously lost by not being able to compete. I think in many ways, it might be a change in sentiment. I think Djokovic is realizing now that you know he will He will, regardless now of whether he beats, uh, well, Nadal's record at this point, uh, regardless of whether he beats these records and becomes the greatest player of all time, he will still be considered one of the greatest of all time, without a doubt. You know, it's part of that. Well, in this regard, it's part of that big three mentality, which, as you know, is my pet peeve. But in in this scenario, when you're talking about the GOAT, you know, it is a big three at that point. Mm. The only problem is, the only problem is, I think... I think that they've had a disagreement perhaps in Djokovic's focus on a tennis over his focus on everything else in his life. Maybe. Uh, This is just me sort of rambling about perspective, Um, and I think that potentially that sort of COVID aspect has has played a a role. Um, And as you say, like, it's it's coming into that maybe final stage of his career. Like, that that might not be the case, though, because, like I say, you see Federer and Nadal pursuing through the years Um, so you know when you can decide a player's final stages of their career are is completely completely warped these days but yeah I I think that there's I think more than anything I think it's a a moral standpoint that may have led to this and have been bear in mind like not everyone wants to do the same thing for god knows how many years or their whole life um, despite how successful it might be
0: Mm, yeah, it is interesting, because when he did that brief interview with the BBC, which, which was kind of a bit weird, because it was like, it was just like a three or four minute thing where he was like, <laughs> I'm I'm not ac- actively anti-vaccination, but I'm not getting a vaccination. Um, but yeah, he's kind of, he has positioned himself now where, like, his, his moral stance is above any of his kind of um, tennis objectives, per se. Um mm. so yeah I don't know if that fed into his the relationship with his coaches around him maybe maybe not um, but it does kind of yeah it's it, it does put him in an interesting position regarding his if he does have objectives to I'm sure he does to still be the, the number one or greatest of all time um, it's kind of going to be in tension with that um, but actually having said that France now have removed the vaccine passport ruling so it looks like he's gonna have the green light at least to have a go at the French Open this year so he could get back on level terms with Nadal what what do we think to that do you think he's what's his chances versus Nadal's given that Nadal's had an incredible start to the year that no one really predicted
1: this is yeah again this is this is the nature of tennis these days and I think I think the main culprit for the survivability of tennis players into their later years these days you know like years that wouldn't have been considered about 10 20 years ago for the age uh, i think the last person that made it to a really deep stage of their career was radek stepanek and who was still able to scalp people quite consistently on the tool but i think with nadal and djokovic i'd be excessively excited about this because what you might see as one of the last great showdowns between the big four at the French Open and I, I if i was to bet if i was a betting man when it came to tennis um, which i'm often not because there's so many factors that it's hard to to truly decide where to put your money but i would i would say that the final hopefully if the draw goes well the final will be the two of them and and it will be a classic
0: oh what about what about though you got to the final last year and have we, have we got, I don't know how Medvedev's going to fare on the clay. He's been improving in in recent years, but it's hard to say. Um, yeah, I but think, I, yeah, I think
1: we're going to see Nadal be truly, truly dominant during this tournament. It's his tournament.
0: I mean, I mean that's <laughs> that's not a controversial statement at all, is it? Really, given that he's won fourteen of I it should know, the be renamed six, the
1: Nadal Open. Let's face it.
0: I mean, I think at some point the trophy will be named after him. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> probably, yeah, yeah. Yeah, just just probably. Um, yeah, I don't really know. Yeah, I th- I would I would tend to agree with that. Um, although I mean, you know, Djokovic obviously did beat him there last year. But in terms of matches in the lead up to the tournament, it's going to be interesting to see what tournaments he is actually going to be able to participate in to get himself up to speed. Because you can do all the obviously you can do all the training you like, but it never yeah. as we know it never replicates actually playing in competition and with the pressure on you so
1: match practice is everything match practice is everything and i i think i think the people you see this most greatly with other people like andy murray where he's trying to come back onto the tour um you know he's not playing the same level of matches you know just because he's not always going to make deep runs into a tournament especially now um again another topic to discuss um at another time but you know, you, you see that he struggles in certain scenarios because he's not playing as often and he's not able to compete as often. And and again, this all happened with Djokovic as, as the champion that he is. He was recently defeated, um, you know, in, in an earlier stage in a tournament than you would expect. Uh, what was it? Vesely. And uh, mm. that's exactly the scenario that that affects. So um yeah his his main aim is to just play as much tennis as he possibly can now, and between now and then
0: yeah these guys are he's i mean as robotic as they may seem with their like insane level of consistency, which has kind of never been seen before really they are still human, and tennis is very much a a rhythmical kind of game it's kind of hard oh, yeah. to hard to explain unless you've played it, but it's yeah it's very much like a a feel based Kind of sport obviously you still have all the technical aspects of it but until you kind of play it and get you have to get into like a rhythm like it's the same if you take serve you're serving for example that is like has a very rhythmical kind of action to it and you know some days or some sets or whatever you may feel in rhythm and then other times you just everything's kind of out of sync and it's you're trying to put your finger on why it is but yeah ultimately playing and practicing yeah is the only way you're going to be get back into that rhythm um and so, yeah, even guys like Djokovic, they need, they need that com- competitive practice. Otherwise, they're going to struggle. Right, are we ready? Here we go. It's time for a little bit of tennis trivia. So five, five questions for you, Merlin, which I definitely haven't just found on a UK tabloid website. Um, okay, number one. How many French Open singles titles has Rafael Nadal won? There you go. I'll start you off with an easy one. No pressure.
1: Titles. So that's fourteen.
0: It is fourteen. That is correct. Also, my lucky number. Not that that has any significance.
1: Wow, you learn something new every day.
0: And a really insightful information there. Question two: Who was the youngest and first unseeded player to win the men's singles title at Wimbledon?
1: Oh, interesting.
0: Think. 80s slash
1: 90s. 80s slash 90s.
0: He has coached one of the top players, at least for a short period of time.
1: Yeah. So I've got two people in mind. Who do I want to go with?
0: Time's running out.
1: I'm going to say Pete Sampras, but...
0: (laughs) It's Boris Becker.
1: I knew it. Yeah. Was
0: The eccentric German. He, I think, he was seventeen when he won that first Wimbledon. Come
1: to think of it, now actually, has Pete Sampras actually coached anyone?
0: No, he's a bit aloof, isn't he? Really, he's he's sort of a mysterious character.
1: You gave me a clue, and I didn't use it.
0: There you go. I tried to help you. I tried to make you look good. Okay, question three. Novak Djokovic turned professional in which year? I mean, it's early kind of naughty's time. Just as a clue.
1: Well, you've, you've narrowed it down to like five possible years there. Um, it's 2001, wasn't it? <clears throat> ah.
0: 2003, three. So he would have been 15, maybe 16. I think, so if it was 2001, uh, he would have been up. like 13, which <laughs> <laughs> would be That's some kind of what? record.
1: I'll tell you what, I lose track of players' ages these days, <clears throat> especially considering how long-lasting some of them are going.
0: Yeah. I think how's drop, is like 34, 35 now, I think. Something like that.
1: Wow. In my head, he's still like 31 or 32, just like Murray.
0: Mm. Oh, those were the days.
1: Those were the days.
0: Question four. Who has won the most Wimbledon... Women's singles titles. Again, this is sort of like a previous generation.
1: Previous generation.
0: She's also very good in the doubles as well.
1: Yeah, names on the tip of my mind. Ah. Um, oh. I've lost it. My, my head keeps screaming at me. It's one of the Williams sisters, but I know you're saying a previous generation, so it can't be Eastern Um, European, Eastern European. Oh, the names are not at the tip of my head. I can't remember. You just have to tell me it is
0: Martina Navratilova. There we are. There we are. I don't know how many she won actually, but a little story for you when I was at Wimbledon, I think for the first time back in like 05, 06 or something. Um, I was outside centre court and she came along and
1: she patted me on the head. Aww. Yep. I was how like, old who... were you at this point?
0: I don't know, it must have been like seven or eight maybe. Cute. I shouldn't know how old I was. No. I was just like, who is this woman who's like touching me on the head? This is very strange. And then I realised it was her. I was like, yeah, that's right.
1: And you God. never washed your head ever again?
0: No, it must have been at least a day till I washed it again.
1: (laughs) Your parents wouldn't they?
0: (laughs) No. Question five. Final question. So I think you've got.
1: I've got one. one. Yeah. Yeah. My, my tennis knowledge currently is quite abysmal. You're
0: going to make the questions really difficult for me next time. Aren't you? Oh, you bet. I thought, I thought these were reasonable. Anyway, question five. Okay. This one is more difficult at which Hills was the U S open tennis tournament played before it moved to flushing meadows
1: that is a great question
0: i mean it, it it is america so it's not going to be some kind of extravagant name so just think very literally mm. so something hills
1: i'm going to go with beverly hills
0: I would love it if that was the case. No, yeah. it's actually Forest Hills. Very imaginative Forest name. Hills. Yeah. Okay. I that mean, sounds like a name. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a particularly memorable name, that is it? Um, but I didn't know no, that either. My
1: name's Forest Hills.
0: <laughs> name's Hill. Forest Hill.
1: Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that wraps up
0: today's quiz and podcast. I forgot to say get a grip after each one, but I will do that next time.
1: Yeah, well, that'll be next time. We know to do that in future.